It's a pleasure this morning to welcome the Reverend John Clayton. He's the regional minister for the Northern Baptist Association. John, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's give John a warm welcome this morning. You know, we had a great day yesterday up at uh, Stockton Baptist Church for the Northern Baptist Assembly. And uh, Stephen Sutton, the pastor of Kobe Newham, gave an inspiring talk about how we need to be fruitful out there on our front lines, which is exactly what we're working through together as a church as well. So be encouraged that God's Spirit is at work amongst the church in this area. And it's great to have you with us, John. Anything on your heart you just want to share in terms of your work and the NBA? Okay, good morning. Thank you, Glenn. I just want to share with you that actually two or three of our churches are going through times of change with ministers moving and some looking for ministers, so please pray for them. And I'll be attending a, a gathering this week of people who do what I do throughout the country, and we'll be thinking about these things. In terms of next year, we're wanting to engage together in a, a weekend of mission. That doesn't mean to say that's the only weekend we do mission, by the way. But actually, a weekend of evangelistic mission in September. We're calling it Northern Light, and we want to say God sends Christ, his light, for the, for the whole world. But particularly, we want to focus on our churches in the north of England and to encourage them to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And to do that with teams coming from, hopefully from Texas, maybe from Lithuania, across the north, that's Yorkshire. I know you're Yorkshire, but I mean Sheffield as well. And the northwest, which actually apparently goes from Carlisle to Tawin. Teams coming and helping our churches to engage in mission, and maybe even churches within our association sending teams to other churches, so that we might creatively, attractively share the good news with our communities. Wonderful. Let's pray for John, shall we? Father, we thank you for John. Bless him and Janet and their family today. We thank you for his pastoral care for the Northern Baptist churches. And we pray that you will raise up new pastors, new leaders for your church in the north. And do that here as well, Lord God. And we pray that you'll send us out with your mission day by day, Lord Jesus. And bless the Northern Light campaign next year in September. Lord, thank you that your gospel is still relevant today. Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you, Glenn. And I do want to bring you the greetings of your sister churches in the Northern Association. Do you know which one's the southernmost church in our Northern Association? Yeah. You what? You. Almost wherever I go, I mention you. Because I say, yeah, we're a family of churches from Northampton in the south to Berwick in the north and from the coast, I think Redcar is the furthest east, to a little village called Great Asby out there near Appleby. So I often mention you and sometimes I say, be careful about this here, you know, down here, they talk a bit like William Hague. <laughs> and up in Berwick, they talk with a little bit of a Scottish lilt. And in the middle, they talk like Ant and Deck. <laughs> so great to be here. Thank you. Lovely to have this opportunity. Any, any of you been reading Jeremiah recently? Yeah, yeah, good. And you got to the end of the book last night, didn't you, or yesterday morning? Some of you keeping up with your Bible notes. Okay, so those of you who did and know about Jeremiah, you can go and tell those who don't know about Jeremiah, and we can go for coffee. Is that a plan? Steve, careful. <laughs> it's not quite as straightforward as that. So who do you think you are? Do you ever watch that programme? Yeah, yeah I, I don't actually, but 
Uh, any, any particular character strike you from that uh, program? Any particular stories that have caught you out? Or? Some of them are amazing, yeah? Yeah, Matthew Pinson and the rower, and anything particular about that? Right, so Royal Lineage back to God. Yeah, all sons of Adam, perhaps. Talking to somebody in the week, with some distant relation of the Spencer family, as in Diana Spencer, but a distant relation. Who would you like to be? No, you don't have to answer that. But sometimes we think, well, it wouldn't be great if we were just like so-and-so or, or be something else. Uh, and I wonder if Jeremiah looked back in history to Isaiah, Isaiah who had lived in Jerusalem maybe a, well, a little while before, and Isaiah who walked into the royal court and was known to the king well and, and you know, he had quite a nice lifestyle compared to Jeremiah who kept getting dunked in pits and things. You know, sometimes you look at other people and say, they have it easy. But my friends, God has called you to be you and me to be me and to do the things that we do. And I did like that, you know, warm to that word that was given to us earlier. Uh, It's not a matter of who we are, but whose we are. You are special, redeemed in Christ. You belong to Christ and Christ has a purpose for you. And sometimes we do waffle around finding out what that purpose is. But we are those who are special and belong to Christ. We may want to think about what's made us. Uh, well, we go back to God. God has made us, you know, knit together in the womb. But there are those things that have shaped us. You know, maybe our family, maybe our home life, maybe where we were actually born and brought up. The location, the culture of that place. Our education, our work, even the people we mix with who are not believers. All these things shape us. And some of them are painful experiences. And we carry that pain and we carry that grief. But yet, even those painful experiences have been experiences that have shaped us and brought good into our lives and enabled us to serve God. Now, in Christ, we are redeemed, we are called, we are empowered, we are remade, we are healed. But sometimes we still carry the scars. And as you look at your life, the question is, what is God calling you to do? next. It's great to reflect, it's great to celebrate, but also to look forward and say, what is God calling you and me to be? Let's look at Jeremiah. I'm going to read to you from Jeremiah chapter 1, the whole chapter. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth, in the territory of Benjamin about three miles north of Jerusalem. doesn't say that, but that's where it is. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of King Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. This is the pits, all right? It really is the bottom of life. The people of God are ripped out of the land of God and taken into Babylon. Yes, that psalm is, by the waters of Babylon, we sat down and wept. This is invasion and deportation, alongside a bit of genocide as well. That's the context. The word of the Lord came to me, saying... Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Note the plural. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to plant and to build. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north, I answered. The Lord said to me, from the north disaster will be poured on all who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls, against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods and in worshipping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to to stand against the whole land and against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So you're young and you're living in a turbulent time, and God tells you to give a message that won't be heard to a people who will oppose you. Well, it must be time to go on holiday, must not it? That really isn't what you want to hear, is it? Sometimes Jeremiah is described as a highly strung and tragic figure. Uh, He is the moaner. But actually, he does pour out his heart to God, he does complain, he does reach low levels. But he also knows the faithfulness of God with him. His name means Yahweh exalts, or also also means Yahweh throws down. God is at work doing things. He's the son of a priest. He was brought up believing, schooled in the scriptures of his time. And he's certainly a contrast to Isaiah, who was important in the city, where <coughs> Jeremiah was a nobody from a village outside. And he was to know hostility, loneliness and despair right from that earlier time. So we look at the papers and, you know, it's Brexit again, isn't it? And it's Brexit again. And we do live in a country that is divided with parties that are divided and who knows what the next few days will hold for any of us. My friends, pray for our politicians of all parties. For we need to see wisdom exercised by those who serve us in these arenas and we need to see justice and righteousness and the common good pursued. But if we think we're in turmoil, 
Just take yourself back to Jeremiah's time. It is a time of international turmoil, of deep instability. There is a national crisis. There is religious decline. There is a sham of faith. Jeremiah, who's going to preach for about 40 years, is going to do so in the reigns of five kings and one governor. And two of them will only last for three months. There will be some reform under Josiah. But there will be rebellion against God, against the Babylonians. There is idolatry even in the high places of God. There is immorality amongst the people. There is selfishness and self-centeredness. And there is going to be judgment because God is not indifferent to the way that we treat other people and to the way that we treat the world he has made. And the people of God make false alliances and build their future on false hopes. But Jeremiah brings not only a word of judgment, but a word of hope, a word of comfort. As he serves them, as he serves God in that context, he is called, but his experience and his context shapes him. My friends, we are called. But each of us are shaped by different experiences, different contexts. We are commissioned And not only are we commissioned, but we are equipped. Did you know that when God said to Jeremiah, you know, go and preach, roughly speaking, he touched Jeremiah's lips and said, I put my word in you. He equipped him. And the God who commissions us, who calls us to serve, who calls us to be witnesses, who calls us to engage society, is also the one who equips us. And so it's right that we we stand before God in in worship and ask him to renew and to refresh and to empower us by his Holy Spirit. It's right that we read the word of Scripture that says you don't have to worry what you will say because the Holy Spirit will give you words to say. But it's also important to immerse ourselves in the word of God so that it shapes our thinking and equips us. Now, Jeremiah was called to do a difficult task at a difficult time to a people who are going to be difficult to him. And I trust that North Harrison will not be as difficult as that. But what is your calling collectively? And what is God calling you to individually? And here's a moment for you to reflect. What has God done in your life that will shape your calling in the future? In a good way. Jeremiah. Jeremiah was burdened with a message. You know, I didn't like the word burdened, but I'd written it and I reflected on it because it feels a heavy word. And in one sense, Jeremiah bears a heavy sense of responsibility. He's a deep man of conscience, a deep man of faith. But I think I wanted to use words like, he's fired with a message. Fired. He's driven. He's a driven character. It burns deep within him. I mean, I got this really from Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9. But if I say, because this is a moment when he's going through a difficult time. This is his, you know, moment... I'm looking for you know kind of antidepressants moment with respect to those who are. And it's quite likely that a number of us are. Here's his moment when he says, if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, <laughs> get me out of here, Lord. His word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. And when I first came across those words many years ago, I used to feel, well, that's okay for someone like Jeremiah. It's the kind of thing you read, isn't it, in Christian autobiographies. 
The word of God bears in my heart. I cannot but share the gospel. It's a bit like Paul, you know, woe to me if I preach not the gospel. Sorry about the authorised version there. Somehow it found a way in. But there are experiences that just confirm what God calls us to be and to do. And for Jeremiah, who at this point had just been released from a spell in a well, a dry and deep well, for Jeremiah, it expressed the burning desire, despite his suffering and, dare I say, depression. It's like he would say, I could throw in the towel now, but I can't. Many years ago, I discovered some red lumps on my legs. I'm not going to show you them. They're not there anymore. But, you know, propriety and all that. I went to the doctor... And for those of you who know Latin, I, I'm not a Latin scholar. He said, you've got erythema, no dosum. Oh, great, isn't it? Yeah, sounds posh. So I said, what's that? And he said, red lumps. <laughs> I thought to myself, well, I could have told you that. That was Friday. Monday, I was having a chest x-ray. And without going into too dramatic details, you know, I was kind of knocked off my feet with a particular condition, which got better relatively quickly in my case, thanks to the healing power of God and the care and support of others. But in that time, and it was a brief time, so I don't want to go on about it, I really was knocked off my feet. I was eating you know, my meals on a smaller plate, not, so it didn't look too bad, you know? Because um, I, I left my, off my appetite, I was in pay, different pains every day, I was completely washed out, etc. I was out of ministry. Not for long. But there came a moment where it burned in my heart to engage again in the ministry that God has given to me. And you might have had experiences like that where something has burned in your heart, something has driven you. And it's only those times when it's taken away from you that, in the words of the song, Big Yellow Taxi... You, know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. It's only in those moments that you discover what it is that drives you, what it is that God has placed in your heart and mind that makes you passionate. And what is the thing of God that makes you passionate? What drives us? I mean, I think we overuse the word passion, by the way. You know, we overuse words in the Christian world like "got to take a risk," you know, and step out in faith. We must keep that. I think if I was wing-walking on a plane, they'd be taking a risk. That's a bit silly. Actually, we're just doing something different, and it might not work out, but generally speaking, we're not going to fall off a plane. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? There's risk and there's risk. We must be passionate. You know, I'm not sure that the, the slogan reached this far south, but you know, there was a, a strap line in the tourism industry in the northeast. Uh, passionate people, passionate places. What is it that drives us? What gives us energy? What excites us? Not in the sense of being exuberant, because that's one form of excitement, but that which actually gets us out of bed in the morning and motivates us. What is it that God has put on your heart that drives you? Or what should he be putting on your heart? It was a driving desire for Jeremiah to proclaim the word that had been entrusted to him. And he does it with meaning, clarity, and sometimes with humour, and sometimes with drama. 
It had a clear content. And sometimes we are not always very clear about what we believe. We can be a bit woolly in the way that we explain it. But Jeremiah is very clear about what he wants to say. And he doesn't use four Ps, but I could. I'm only going to briefly use these four Ps. But Jeremiah is about the primacy of God. That was a bit of a twist. The sovereignty of God. It's about the purposes of God, which are about judgment and redemption. It's about repentance and hope. It's about the people of God who fail and who he wants to restore. And it's about the power of God that will enable and enrich and refresh his people. He looks to God who is sovereign, who made the earth by his power, chapter 10, who set the boundary for the sea, chapter 5, the God who loves. And although Jeremiah does moan, and if there was a candidate for the patron saint of moaners, it would be Jeremiah, although he does moan, and although he knows despair, and although he faces suffering, he is persecuted by his fellow believers, would you believe it? He knows the love of God. Chapter 31, what a lovely verse this is. 31 verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. The authorised version, I think, is I've drawn you with the cords of love. Another way of putting it is God saying, I wooed you, I love you. Or again, just turning outside the book of Jeremiah to the book of Lamentations, written supposedly by Jeremiah, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassion never fails. Then new every morning, great is your faithfulness. He looks to God, a sovereign creator, a God who loves us, a God who is active in history, guiding and causing events, a God who knows people's hearts. I, the Lord, he says, chapter 17, search the heart and examine the mind. A God who demands obedience, chapter 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, reform your ways and your actions. A God who cannot stand false worship. Chapter 7, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices. In other words, about rituals, and we have our rituals. But I gave them this command, obey me and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in obedience, and I will command you that it may go well with you. A message that is against idolatry. Idols in the temple, child sacrifice, worthless religion. Your children have forsaken me and sworn by gods that are not gods. A message about immorality, of cheating and lying and oppression, adultery and prostitution. Even the priests are off the rails, from the least to the greatest. Chapter 6, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike, all practice deceit. This is why there is judgment. They've forsaken the fountain of life. Chapter 2 and chapter 17. And so there is judgment. God acts, he hates injustice and calls us to repentance. But Jeremiah, although he speaks hard and strong against these things, he also brings hope. Even in judgment, even in despair, there is hope. And you'll know this verse, I'm sure. Chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And although Jeremiah pens those words from the Lord, he sends it to a people who have already moved away. They've been carted off into Babylon. 
in judgment there is hope. And for us as Christians, we know that in judgment there is hope because there on the cross the price was paid for our forgiveness. And through repentance we enter into the benefits of Christ's actions. There is hope. And here for these people in Babylon and for those who were left behind in Jerusalem that tended to be the poor and less able and some of them escaped as did Jeremiah to Egypt. Even for them there is hope. There is a message of hope. The promise of return. The promise of restoration. I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tents and have compassion on his dwellings. The city will be rebuilt. That great promise. God will do things. And indeed God did things. And as a sign of that, this was a dramatic sign, Jeremiah goes and buys a field. This is uh, chapter 32. And when he goes and buys a field in his home village of Anathoth, he then gets the documents and puts them in a sealed clay jar. And they're there for a long time. And the word is this, for this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, houses, fields, vineyards will again be bought in this land. And the renewal of the promise. And then actually Jeremiah brings something that becomes very special to us as Christians. Because Jeremiah is the one who talks about the new covenant. Because faith is more than ritual. Faith is more than the sacrifice of animals. It includes obedience. And it is like the relationship of a marriage, chapters 2 and 3. And this relationship is the basis of a new covenant that we find talked about in chapter 31. That God's law is written on our hearts. That we have a relationship with God. That we know God and his words. And we find forgiveness because of his promises. And our obedience will spring from love and not from control and coercion. I will be their God and they will be my people. Jeremiah brings to us an emphasis upon our own individual responsibility, but also our inward faith. When I first started preaching, it was very easy, because I come from a very nonconformist background as a Baptist in Northamptonshire. And back in the 70s, you could knock the Catholics and the Anglicans. Sorry for those who have that background. And you can say, well, they just go through the motions, don't they? They say the same words every week. And they do these funny little actions and things. My friends, we do funny little actions as well. And we may not quite use the same words every week, but we get in the same ruts. And we too can go through the motions. But God, through Jeremiah, calls us to go beyond the motions. The motions may or may not help you, but actually what is most important is the heart. So if it helps you... I'm going to be dangerous now, Glenn. If it helps you to cross yourself, to remind yourself that you are in a relationship with Father, Son and Holy Spirit, it's not something I do, but maybe we raise our hands in worship. And if it helps us to express our faith, express our worship well and good, but if we're doing it, because that's what we do in this verse, isn't it? I remember going to a church many years ago, a different part of the country, and you can almost know the line they were going to do it. That's a bit unfair, isn't it? It is, though, about the heart. And are our hearts touched by the grace of God? And to know that, repentance is necessary. And Jeremiah does call us to right attitudes and right repentance. Jeremiah, a man called of God and shaped by his context. Jeremiah, a man with a clear message. Jeremiah, who faced the heat of the day. And we do say, don't we, that it's not always easy to be a Christian these days. Do we say that? 
there's a technical term I want to use with respect, boulder dash. As I drove down this morning and thinking about the message, the words of Mr. Dickens came to mind. It was the best of times and the worst of times. And that's generally how it always is. But there are some generations that are worse. And I, would I prefer to be in 21st century Britain or 6th century BC Jerusalem? Take your pick. You are about to be invaded, by the way, there. Which do you want? But it is generally not easy. There is a tendency sometimes to look back at previous generations through rose-tinted glasses. The challenges are always there. They're just different challenges. When God is at work, Satan is on the march. That makes sense? We are involved in a spiritual battle that is revealed differently in different places. Do I want to live in North Korea or the UK? Take your pick. But when we talk about persecution in this country, let's not lose perspective on those who are really persecuted. Jeremiah, though, he did face the heat of the day. So much so that in chapter 20, verse 7 to 18, he is in despair. Now, if you watched a little video that was a bit longer than it should have been, that I did in the week, sorry, I made reference to Jeremiah being important to me. Not so much him, but this passage, which I'm not going to read to you. Jeremiah 20, verse 7 to 18. It is one of those passages that are one of Jeremiah's confessions. It's when he's pouring his heart out to God, and he is utterly cheesed off. He is so cheesed off that he comes to the point of saying, you know, cursed be the day that I was born, and may the man who brought my mother or father the news of my birth, my, my father, not, my mother would have known about it, wouldn't she? <laughs> You always tell him off script. May the man who brought the father the news be cursed or something like that. When I was an aspiring preacher, the minister of the church gave me a couple of passages to preach on. He gave me a passage, first of all, from Ephesians, which was, once you were dead, you were trespassers and sins, and now you're alive in Christ, you are saved by grace. That's great, isn't it? To preach that you know, happily, easily write a sermon on that. Yeah, great. Uh, and the rule was not to look at any commentaries and in those days, the internet wasn't invented. Okay. And then he said, I want you to preach on this passage from Jeremiah. That's heavy. But I didn't find it an easy passage to preach on. And he said, no commentaries. Or at least initially. And I looked at this passage. I couldn't make anything of it. It was just dark. That's how it struck me. And it took two or three days before light began to shine for me, in that passage. And generally speaking, that experience has shaped my approach to preaching and to Bible study. Stay with the word, wrestle with the word, and bring light and hope and insight from the word. To work with the word that God gives you. And although I'm not preaching in that style this morning, that has generally been the style that I've adopted to wrestle with the word, even when you do not understand it. And one of my little spiritual disciplines at the moment, it may change, as well as reading through Jeremiah with my wife over recent weeks, I tend to choose a, a gospel passage, just a few verses, which I read in the morning, and I reflect on. But I read the same passage for five or six days. And what it means is that actually I rest in the word, not so much wrestle, 
but I rest in the word. And the word rests in me. Now, when somebody told me to do, you know, about doing that donkeys years ago, thought they were a bit crackers, actually. I'm an activist. I like to get on with things. Why should I want to read the same passage every day for five or six days? But I adopted that two or three years ago. I have been so enriched. Let the word, as Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Well, I'm conscious of time. Jeremiah faced the heat of the day. And in that heat, sometimes light came. He was rejected by friends. He was plotted against. He was persecuted, imprisoned. His work was destroyed. He was put in a pit. But yet he was faithful. He preached repentance. He preached judgment. He spoke at a difficult time. He exposed the false prophets. And there's a lovely moment. And you must go home and read this. Jeremiah chapter 28, where he has an encounter with a false prophet called Hananiah. And you've got to catch the drama of this, that he turns up with a yoke on to say that the Babylonians are going to put the kingdom of Judah under their yoke. He's got a wooden yoke on. Now Hananiah, the false prophet, says, oh, it's all going to be turned out soon, very quickly. And those who have been taken to exile will come back, it will be peaceful. And so Hananiah opposes Jeremiah and goes and smashes the wooden yoke that Jeremiah has been wearing. Careful what you do, lad, you know what you wear. And then Jeremiah brings the word back, but this time with an iron yoke. You know, drama. You know, we think the drama in church is kind of new, but here's Jeremiah. He's acting out the prophecy that God is going to put the nation. And that takes strength of character, strength of faith. Jeremiah, a man shaped by calling and context. How are you being shaped? What is God calling you to How are you being commissioned and equipped? He was a man fired with a message. We heard from Rachel how she's fired for Tear Fund and for bringing God's perspective on justice and poverty and relief and compassion into the context here. And in the heat of the day, whatever the heat of the day is for you, know this, it's not who you are but whose you are. And when we heard from that three-year-old, I guess Jeremiah was a bit older than three, but he said, Lord, you can't use me, I'm a child. Be assured that he holds you through the difficult times. As you engage this world, not just the fellowship, this world, with the good news, do so with clarity, with patience, with compassion, and hold on to the promises of God and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen.